0: Welcome to the Enso Real Paradigm Shifters Podcast. This show is for and about the entrepreneurs who work to improve and expand our human well being by bringing cutting edge technologies and ideas to life. We are Marie and Magnus Dahlgren, your hosts. In this episode, we talk to John Craig. John is a self defined Irish, Canadian, British, Japan anthropologist. As a writer, documentary filmmaker, and corporate advisor, John travels the world to meet researchers and thinkers for his Japanese YouTube channel Ihan Yuku, with over 223 lectures in Japanese about an eclectic range of thought-provoking subjects. He is also the host of Real Rover Podcasts and is currently in Canada. His most recent documentary, Why on Earth?, about a barefoot trek across Iceland, is soon to be released. And now, here is our conversation with John Craig.
1: Nice to see you looking so bright and cheerful.
2: Hello.
1: <laughs> Where are you?
2: Uh, we're in the United States, Maryland. Oh,
1: that's right. You're in Maryland. Yeah.
2: Yes. Yeah. How are you doing? You said you moved in Canada last time.
1: Oh. Moving from A to B, I was in Nelson, British Columbia, uh-huh. which is in the mountains, and now I'm in uh, L- Panda Island, which is an island between Victoria and Vancouver. Mm-hmm. Okay. And uh, I live in Japan, so you know I'm. There's been a lot of uh, movements and. Konnichiwa. <laughs> Konnichiwa. Nice to see you both. So uh, I am. In transit right now. I didn't expect to be here. I, was, I should be back in Japan.
3: Huh, interesting. But I decided
1: to change the schedule uh, for a variety of reasons. And uh, my sister has a home here in Panda and she's in the UK. So I'm looking after her house, drinking coffee, and getting ready for your amazing question. <laughs> okay.
2: That's great. And um, before we start, I wanted to share with you my insight I would say. Once I was surfing uh, on the internet, uh, on Facebook, and I saw this video which fascinated me a lot. And this was the video about grounding. In particular about the device, which helps people to ground themselves while they're sleeping or working or playing. And I was... I was so just stunned and uh, I was talking about this maybe after I saw this video for two weeks to everybody and uh, and each and everybody, look what I found, it's very yeah. interesting and uh, when I have heard from you and uh, I got to know that you, um, you know what this earthing mean and that actually you're the founder of this movement i thought to myself oh this would be very nice to share this video with john because it's like an extension it's a practical use of this branding and after that i went to your website and of course i started to get ready for our interview and i watched all the videos and i found exactly the same video and my question for you now how does it work these coincidences because i was i had read a little bit about your biography and um i stumbled upon such a term as open source consciousness does it work somehow through this open source consciousness these kind of coincidences because yeah.
3: amazing. Uh,
1: so your question is really about synchronicity. All right. And um, actually, a friend of mine who, uh, to give b- a brief background, is a film editor. And uh, we made a film 10 years ago called Earth Pilgrims. So the theme of Earth goes back. Earth Pilgrims was produced 10 years ago. And as my video editor, he went on to make his own film called Infinicity, which was the idea about synchronicity and its infinite attributes called Infinicity. And so he asked a variety of people in various fields what is your take on synchronicity mm-hmm. and i was one of them and the synchronicity of your question is that i told him the story of what happened to me on this island huh. 10 years approximately ago when i returned to canada i also have canadian citizenship by the way i have british canadian and irish I have three passports and I live in Japan.
3: Good.
4: So Good.
1: I came back to this island after a long absence.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: And my sister, who's resident here, yeah. she said, we need to do a kind of return ceremony for you on Medicine Beach. Huh. Because this is kind of a very special place for the First Nations here.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: So they did, they did a lot of ceremony here. The first nations people over the centuries and so the beach is called medicine beach medicine meaning of course good for the spirit connection with spirit so uh she said we need to go to the beach to do a ceremony she's an old irish witch i think you know she's she's, she's quite uh, uh a connected woman so so uh she says let's go to the beach we sit down on the beach and the first thing we see Flying towards us is, uh, we think it's probably a kite or a hawk, and it flies towards us, dives into the water, picks up a fish in its beak, flies up, and then drops the fish right in front of our faces, about 100 meters away. And we think, well, that's interesting, but it could be a coincidence. A bird has shown itself to us. This bird then flies up to our left, to the top of a tree, and sits there. And we thought, oh, that's interesting. And uh, about three minutes later, an eagle flies around us, Mm
3: -hmm.
1: demonstrates its presence. It flies up and takes its position next to the bird that dropped the fish. Which is kind of strange. You know, these are two good,
3: good are they time. rivals?
1: These these birds? how does the eagle uh relate to the hawk? I mean, have you ever seen two of them in the same place? No, like on tree next to each other? And then she turns around and she said, Well, if there's two, there's gonna be three. Three.
2: And yeah.
1: A few minutes later, a turkey vulture
3: oh my flies
1: goodness. in. Now a turkey vulture is native to this area. It's an unusual bird because it has a red, uh, it has a red color on its head. It's like mm-hmm. it has like a vulture, it, like a turkey. It has yes. this mat, and it's red. And my sister is wearing a red hat. Oh my god! So this turkey vulture takes its position next to the eagle, which is standing, which is sitting at the top of a tree, right mm-hmm. next to a hawk. So then you do the uh, devil's advocate. What are the statistical probab- probabilities that three entirely different species of bird will show up within seven minutes next to each other at the top of three trees uh, just as we've started a ceremony to welcome me um. back to Canada? And uh, I think any statistician would have to admit that's probably never happened. Yeah, right. So your question evokes the response of a synchronicity that happened on this very island 10 years ago, and uh, is that's a classical, easy to understand one because it's so obvious. Yeah, so you're finding out these connections with earthing and our connection with uh London Real, uh, the fact that we are now connected to something. That connects to this is everything is all about connection
3: yes and
2: that's amazing
1: Um, it's a very typical story in a sense
2: (laughs) that's how it works okay great Uh, John I have read a lot about about you uh, on the internet and seems like you worked different sets and you were in different places and have done a lot of things and my question now what's something about you that people would be surprised to know
3: good one
1: what's something about me that people would be surprised to yeah. know yes. i like it <laughs> uh, well I don't know what you found out about on the internet. Uh, uh, I have two names, right? right? And, uh, so this name, John Craig, which is my birth name, is actually the most common name. Probably it could be the most common name in the world. If you tra- if you look up John Craig on Facebook, there are so many pages you'll never find him.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, Craig John Craig is in my hometown of Aberdeen in Scotland. Uh, There were five or six telephone book pages that just continued as John Craig because John is a Christian name, of course, is very common. Craig in Scotland comes from crag, which means rock, so uh, it's an extremely common name. So that's one thing that just popped out of my head that people would not know about me is that this name itself is so common all over the world that if you were to look for a specific john craig you'd actually have a really hard time finding him (laughs) unless you had specific data yeah and uh you know there's there's a story about why i have the name ehan deravi in in uh especially in the orient but that's something about me that people wouldn't know is the commonality uh it's mr everybody
2: Interesting. Mr.
1: Mr everybody. Yeah.
2: And why did you decide to use the second name Ehren Deravi you said?
1: Okay, you asked. Here we go. Okay. <laughs> you asked. Um
4: <laughs> I'm guilty okay?
1: Okay. Uh Back to this part of the world.
3: Where?
1: Approximately approximately 20 miles that way. Is Victoria, British Columbia. Okay. And so I had come to Canada with my family from Japan in 1989. Uh, It was a great, impossible adventure. Uh, Three children, a dog, a one-way ticket, a desperate need to leave Japan, where I had lived for 15 years, nonstop uh literally, I had gone out of Japan once in 15 years, which is unheard of. Uh, oh. People, you know, who are not Japanese will regularly get out to
3: yeah. just,
1: you know, because the stress level, the, the language, everything is so different. But I just stayed because I was studying so many things. But by the end of 15 years, I'd had it with Japan. That, Like, that's it. <laughs> This place is so narrow-minded, conservative, old-fashioned, village mentality. You know, I had it with this. Uh, I'm leaving. And uh, I don't care if I have to be... uh, uh, I actually said to my wife, I don't care if I have to drive taxis. I'll do anything to get out of this place. Right? Okay. Okay. So, uh, I left with my family on a, a really, everybody said, no, don't go. You can't, you'll never get a job. You've got such a good job in Japan. I was a university lecturer, an acupuncturist, a translator and interpreter. I had really good work and everybody mm-hmm. said, don't leave. You're never going to get a job. Okay. What are you doing? You're crazy. I want my ticket. And I said, uh, no, I, I'll do anything to change. So, uh, I came, uh, I, I, amazing synchronicities happen. I end up being the president of a real estate consulting firm called Japan Consultants within oh. one year that is so successful that everybody is just dribbling with jealousy. How come? How come this guy with no training, no background in real estate, nothing? How come he's got Japanese clients about buying million dollar properties. How does that work? I started off as a garden laborer. Huh? Because I didn't have the visa. And, uh, uh, I was reading, uh, think and grow rich by the man, right? Napoleon, because, you know, I've, I got to feed my family. I got to do something here. And, uh, Here's the law of synchronicity in perfect, perfect uh, operation. Yeah. Uh, it just happened. It, the call came, something started, and within a very short period of time, no training, no understanding of real estate, no connections, no university diploma, nothing, <laughs> zero, except one thing. I can speak fluent Japanese and I can read it and write it. And I, and I realized there's nobody else on this entire island of Vancouver Island. There is not one person who can do this except me. That's great. So to know what you're good at is really important, right? Yes. But then, okay, so what am I going to do with this? What mm-hmm. am I going to do with this talent? I don't know. But, you know. But I have it. <laughs> the, the programming works. So yeah. we're, we're leading to why the name came.
4: Mm-hmm
1: so uh instant like i was on cbc news uh, the canadian broadcasting corporation had a special entrepreneurial uh episode just about what i was doing it was unbelievable it was incredible i mean what you can't pay for this kind of uh advertising i didn't Um, even look for it so this is kind of key i was talking with my good friend who's here visiting with me now uh yesterday naive and naivety is really good when you want synchronicity to work when you're too mental and cognitive and i'm going to yeah. program myself to succeed i'm going to program myself to succeed that's not innocence that's not naivety that's not uh, openness yeah. that's that's cerebral strategy it doesn't work
3: mm-hmm.
1: so i was just like i don't know i gotta do something i gotta feed my family <laughs> and boom that's great. Uh, Ten million dollars of real estate later, I was uh, sitting pretty.
3: I can't but, imagine.
1: <laughs> but the Japanese real estate market collapsed in 1992. Uh-huh. Okay. Uh, and uh, everything fell apart. All of the investors fled from Canada. All of the real estate they'd bought around the world, they had to get rid of. It was a major market crash from an inflated bubble economy. And anybody in Japan, they use the term baburu, baburu, right? When yeah. the bubble bust, we all felt it. So suddenly, the carpet was pulled from under my feet. Yeah. I lost everything overnight and everybody's gone. The investors have disappeared, and I'm left holding the bag. Huh. Great. So what do you have? You have a classical uh, descent into darkness, dark night of the soul, whatever you want to call it. You have all of the stress that goes with it. You have the near-death experience from the huge stress I was suffering from. I had three children, I had a huge house, two cars, I had all this to pay for, and suddenly everything's gone. It's the worst nightmare you can imagine for a businessman. And uh, so I went down, fast. Ended up in hospital, Uh, lots of things happened. Near death, the whole thing, all at once. So, the name, was uh the name was revealed given understood uh after i had had uh how do you to say a paranormal experience is trite because people think paranormal is some kind of you know uh no Uh, paranormal experience is extremely natural and common when a human being goes through a transformative experience uh it's normal it's not right. para you would expect to go through a profound change of consciousness with that much outside pressure on mm-hmm. the hero's journey to get with the program and move to the next stage of the journey yes,
2: yes. i agree with you absolutely i've been there so i know really?
1: yeah so, it's, it's totally normal and natural to expect phenomena that nobody has ever seen, heard, described, but they have heard, described, and seen them in ages up until now. Except we're so stupid these days, we're so cerebral, we, we have no uh, place to understand these phenomena, and so we discount them cognitively as, oh, it's just a ha ha ha. But what happened to me? was so riveting that I actually invited other people to see what was happening to me, first my family and then friends, to make sure that I had not actually cracked. Because I was studying a lot of psychology at the time also and uh, analysis and Mm -hmm. uh, all kinds of stuff. So I knew that I might crack under this amount of stress. Mm -hmm. I could actually lose it yeah at which point you do actually start to hallucinate,
3: mm-hmm. so uh
1: I was aware of that huh.
2: and, and
1: you- uh so to cut a long story short, what started to appear nightly in the skies above a certain small uh forest that I would go to? Uh, and which continued to appear night after night after night after night for eight and a half years eight uh, and a half yeah uh that began a process of transformation that was extremely rigorous, and after about one and a half years of nightly experiencing impossible things to comprehend, I called these things flying koans. Koan is used in Zen training Mm -hmm. to completely uh, disempower your cognitive mind from trying to get smart answers to everything, right?
4: Okay. So uh,
1: we all have answers in our heads to things, but Zen training is to take you beyond that. So a koan is a riddle an impossible-to-answer question, a paradox. Mm -hmm. And the most famous ones traditionally are, what is the sound of one hand clapping? Yeah. Right? That's the most famous one. Uh, The ones that we started with in our early training in Zen in Japan, uh, we had an English-speaking master. His first question is, what is one? One. What
2: is one? One is
3: everything. Uh,
1: Ask that to 10 people and see what kind of answer you get. Different. Oh, one, three minus two, bang, you get hit by a stick, right? Uh And he says, what's that supposed to mean, three minus two? That's a concept.
4: Mm-hmm.
1: I'm not asking you to give me concepts. I'm asking you, what is one, right? Yeah. The right. In the middle of that question. I'm not asking you about the concept of one. I'm asking you, what is it? And you're just giving me bird chatter through your face about concepts. Some people, it took them three years to answer that question.
2: And and could you give us an example of these contacts or these flying coins, as you said? Just an example, so we can understand better. Your experience—it's very interesting.
1: Most people, most people refer to flying coins as UFO. Okay. Right. Most people, but mm-hmm. that's an, that's a, a very uh, tricky uh, concept because to just say it's an unidentified uh, flying object immediately starts a conceptual chain of right. oh well it must be a spaceship. Oh, it must be uh, an American military top secret project. Yeah. You know? Oh, right. So all of these answers start appearing when you see something that doesn't fit in with your, your paradigm. Your paradigm.
3: Mm-hmm. Right.
1: Right. Which is why when the first uh, indigenous people in North America saw a ship come <sighs> up the St. Lawrence River, most of them didn't see it. Huh? They didn't see it. The shamans saw it. They didn't have the conceptual framework for their brain to actually recognize what Mm -hmm. that object was coming up the river. They didn't see
2: it. Mm -hmm.
1: There's no receptors for it. So I call it a flying cone because that's much closer to the truth. It is an unanswerable, impossible riddle. It is not an object, it is not a thing. It is something connected to your consciousness that you're experiencing, but other people can see. That's another part of the riddle. Is it objective? Is it subjective? How come it appears at any time of the night that I happen to go to this place, it appears as if waiting? I mean, what is this? And Mm -hmm. as the years went by, I did lots of experiments with this aerial phenomena. For example, breathing with a witness. I had a guy with me, a witness, right? Let's try an experiment. There's a huge beaming light in the sky, enormous, powerful tractor beam coming down at us. And so I said, let's do an experiment. Let's breathe. So we both start breathing. The thing starts to pulsate in exact rhythm with us. And I suddenly oh, start like this and it starts to pulsate at the same rhythm. Rhythm. Now, if that doesn't crash all of your brain programs, I don't know what will.
2: I have so a question. Do yeah. you think it's a separate entity or it's something that you not created? I mean, not mentally created, but it's...
1: That's the question. That's the question. What's if that? You <laughs> if you don't get to that question... If you don't get to that question, you haven't even begun to study UFO, right? Mm-hmm. There's a, of all the the, the, the the best books written about UFO, Visitors from Within is a really good one.
3: Uh-huh.
1: And that's the hint, Visitors from Within. So that's a really good question, Mary. So uh, after an eight and a half years of this, My brain is completely being reconfigured uh, because no answer is right. Mm
3: -hmm. No
1: answer is correct. (laughs) Uh, So I study anthropology. I study physics. I study astronomy. I study mythology, uh, depth psychology. I mean, I approach this thing from every possible angle to try and get a handle on what the hell is happening to me here. Right. Mm -hmm. What are these things appearing in the sky every night? I invoked them. At the depths of my depression, I actually invoked this because I exclaimed to the night sky, what the hell are you guys doing up there? Get your shit together and come down here and start to help me. Guides, then- whatever you want to call them, show up. And, and I was you- angry. I was like, "Like, would you please help me, God? No, no, no. It's like, show your face because I know you're there. And the last thing I expected was that. The last thing. I'm still getting to the name. I haven't forgot the question, but it's all related.
4: Okay.
1: Um, your question, sub-question here, uh, do you think it is objective or subjective? Right. Is it, on the, is it in the objective world, or is it an apparition generated by your own consciousness? That is the key yes. question right. that all science is now getting to. Right. Is there an objective world? I was chanting the Heart Sutra this morning after, after Zazen. Right? Form is emptiness, emptiness is form. Emptiness is no other than emptiness, form is no other than form. The hell does that mean? Right?
2: Wait, yes. What does that mean? One. It, it means one.
1: <laughs> so, uh, objective, subjective, one. <laughs> there isn't any objective, subjective. There's One. One infinite field. Everything happens there. There's no me and it. So, after eight and a half years of this, during which time, during which time, in year two, I was standing on a beach. Oh, backtrack. I had gone to Japan, I had returned to Canada, and it was exactly one year after the first apparition of this in the sky. And I went, oh, What a coincidence, I'm back in Victoria, exactly one year. So I better go to Field 23, which is the name I gave to the field of synchronicity, Field 23.
3: 23.
1: And uh, nothing happened. I was driving towards the field, and suddenly, synchronicity also involves telepathy, remote viewing, and lots of other... Connected phenomenon. Uh, on my way to the field, a very instant message. Different place. This is—they usually put you in insane asylums for this kind of stuff, right? Location different. So I turn the car around and I head towards a beach. And there are two light Cessna planes at 11:30 p.m. in Victoria, above my car to the left and the right. Right. And uh, of course, the average Joe will go. Oh, there are two people out flying at eleven thirty p.m. in Victoria, British Columbia. But I go. Oh, that, those are not planes. Those are not what they appear to be. Huh. It and, gets weird.
2: <laughs> okay, it's interesting. And uh, during these eight and a half years, what kind of, of information did you receive? So, was there some kind of uh, aim or result of this because of course you saw them uh they were there they answered in such a way to your let us say prayers or your request and what's next what kind of information did you receive and what are you doing with the
1: first information i received was my name so i ended up getting to that beach
3: Mm -hmm.
1: and there was a very bright light As if waiting
3: Uh
1: and uh, I began to do Tai Chi on the beach because I tried many ways to uh, communicate with this phenomenon yes mental physical etc and uh, so I began to do Tai Chi on the beach and uh, there was instant response to my movement Uh, arm going out brightening arm coming in dimming right I mean, it's, uh-huh. it's, so, uh, it's so difficult for people who have never experienced this to even begin to wrap their brains around uh, the no categories here. You know, there are no categories. Yeah. This is not a spaceship. Sorry. <laughs> Forget about this. That's a childish explanation for this. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I hear, Ehan deravi, Ehan deravi, Ehan deravi. What the hell does that mean?
2: And you hear, do, did you hear this? Inside your head, like. No,
1: it's. it's, uh, it's When people talk about telepathy uh, as if there is a communication of sound coming from A to B, that's not how it works. It's instantaneous understanding.
2: Understanding. Instantaneous
1: mm-hmm. understanding. I don't even know if it's audio. Mm-hmm. So uh, the name Ehandera V comes in, and it, that was the second koan. Okay? Go figure. That took a year and a half to figure out. And one day, oh, it's my name. (laughs) And it was so clear. I was on a train in Japan. Oh, it's my name. What an idiot. How come it took me one and a half years to figure it out?
0: What an idiot. It's my name. Wisdom takes time. (laughs) Wisdom takes time. (laughs) (laughs) So I immediately
1: went to the British Embassy. That's how clear I was. I went to the British Embassy immediately and filed a request for a name change.
2: And what does this name mean? Do you know
1: now? I have no idea. No idea. I have no idea. I mean, that's to to, to try and figure out what your name means, that's beyond me. But I just know that uh, it is my name. John Craig is the name my parents applied to me. (laughs) <laughs> when i was born
3: mm-hmm.
1: my name is Erhan derevi whatever that means
3: okay
2: maybe we'll or you will find out this someday who knows
1: well i've um you know i'm running out of time but maybe so yeah. <laughs> but your question what what uh what did you uh like understand or get from this yes is- what
2: kind of information maybe knowledge information insights or maybe you i don't know maybe you found out your path through this what was this experience your experience during this eight and a half years
1: Okay, that's good. And I'll relate that back to the uh, question about objective and subjective. Yes, yes. Uh, The most important thing that came out of of all of this was at the end. Because after eight and a half years, I was every night, I mean, every night, I could, when it wasn't cloudy, uh, I would take my dog to this little, uh, it was like a little forest, a little wood in Mm -hmm. in a, a school ground. A beautiful location uh, in, in uh, Victoria. Uh, so every night was different. Uh, every night, a different form of this phenomenon, different colors. Uh, I mean, it got really weird. Um, it, it did everything possible to, to smash the boundaries of my conceptual reality. Because that's what a Zen koan is about. In order for you to understand what is one, you have to actually become one. Yes, to
2: dissolve all the the, boundaries.
1: Then then when you answer, the master will go, finally. (laughs) So after eight and a half years, I was trying to sell my house, beautiful property. I mean, it should have sold in a day. Wouldn't happen. Wouldn't happen. Show the house, uh, no offers. Show the house, no offers. It It was beyond ridiculous. And then I realized, ah, I am so fascinated by being here every night. This is more thrilling, more interesting, more exciting than any philosophy, religion, shamanic ceremony I've ever been through. This is way beyond. This is it, man. I need to show up in this forest every night and see what happens tonight. Because it gets more and more interesting. It's like being led along a path. You think mm-hmm. you're gonna understand, and it goes, Nope, you didn't get it yet. Let's go up another road. So uh finally I realized I gotta get out of here, I gotta stop this relationship. This is like a really dangerous relationship because it's keeping me here. Maybe that's why I can't sell my house. That's synchronicity, too. So I said, tonight, that's it, boys. We got to stop this. <laughs> we got to stop this relationship tonight. And by the way, what, what the hell is going on here anyway? I have no clue what this is about. I'm more confused than ever. I haven't okay. got the answer. So can I just, before we finish this relationship, can you just tell me, like, what is going on here? Uh-huh. Who are you? Yes. That was it. Who are you? Guess what the answer was? You. We are you? We are you. We are you. Uh, It came in a different format. It was a little bit more uh, anecdotal. It was, You're the captain of this ship. Mm. You are the captain of this ship.
2: Okay, I have a question. Why did you create this ship? How do you think?
1: To help? Uh, Okay. Even better. It gets better. Your questions get better. (laughs) Um, uh, Why did you create this? Mm
3: -hmm. Yes. How did you create this? Uh,
1: Is there actually a me to create it? Uh, What is me? (laughs) Right? It's a deep rabbit hole, this one really deep rabbit hole, because that's where, what is me, what is here, what is there, what is subject, what is object, who am I, what are you, uh, Mm -hmm. it's very, very simple, but it's very, very complicated too, Mm -hmm. so I believe that uh, this phenomenon led me into so much research It created all of Ehan Deravi's body of work, especially in Japan, practically unknown out of Japan, but there are so many genres that I've had to cover in the last uh, 20-odd years because of this phenomenon, that the the learning curve has been so extreme and so interesting and so wonderful,
4: Mm -hmm.
1: not forgetting, so Mm -hmm. wonderful, that uh, it's a never-ending story. It's the never-ending story of human consciousness. It's the never-ending story of all spiritual quests. You're never going to arrive. You're never going to get this. You're never going to get this as long as you are there to get it. As long as you are there, you're never going to get it. This is the great paradox of all so-called spiritual work. To get it, you have to disappear. So, uh, and that's that's classical Zen training. You'll never get it until you get out of the picture.
2: <laughs> did you did you get it? I mean, you you mean not physically disappear, right?
1: No, no, no. I don't when mean you, physically disappear. I mean, disappear. I mean the egoic contraction that you call me, mm-hmm. I.
2: Did right? you disappear?
1: Uh, unfortunately, I'm still here. <laughs> 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 or fortunately. <laughs> so it's like nah i never got it we're still in process don't know if i'll get it don't know if there's enough time left to get it it's the old it's the old spiritual game of i need to get it i need to get it and as long as there's the slightest contraction of i need to get, get you're not gonna get it so uh final note I came back to Vancouver Island 3 weeks ago.
3: Yeah.
1: It's been since that that phenomenon started in 1992. That's when I wrote my first book. It inspired the first book. And uh it went on for 8 years. So take you up to 2000 2018 18 years later I end up in the same place and I think ah. Probably nothing happened, right? <laughs> huh. Why would it happen? I mean, it's, I'm, I'm older, I'm different, I'm changed, you know?
2: Okay. Nothing had
1: changed. Nothing.
2: When you had this experience in the forest, you told us about how did you feel? Could you explain a little bit how it feels like?
1: Fascinated, it... fascinated, excited, inspired, uh, high uh, confounded, confused, amazed, exhilarated. It was better than anything you could imagine.
3: Mm-hmm. It
1: was better than any a person, uh, meditation, whatever you want to call it. It mm-hmm. was way beyond. So it became the center of my inspiration. Creativity. Oh, unbelievable. A gift an absolutely almighty gift that i asked for don't forget yeah show yeah. your face no it was show your face or else that serious and i think a lot of people in their spiritual work don't get that serious it's like you know it's got to be or else
3: okay and
1: you know i had a friend who was in a zen monastery for 10 years Mm-hmm. Her teacher, the, the Korean Zen masters are really, really hard ass.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: I mean, the Japanese are pretty tough. The Koreans, woo. He meditated with a knife oh. stuck in his neck like this. So if he fell asleep for even two seconds, <laughs> he'd be dead, <laughs> right? That's, okay. how medit- that's how the guy meditated. That's how the guy meditated. That kind of rigorous seriousness applied to spiritual work has almost been completely forgotten in the world. Everybody's playing around at it.
2: Yeah, yes. It's more like a fashionable thing to do. Oh, let's get our yoga mat and go off and uh do yoga. uh And meditate. (laughs) And meditate. I have a question. Maybe maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm right. Just my, my thinking here. Did you have this feeling that you stopped these relationships deliberately, not to disappear?
1: You're definitely going to be a master podcaster. Because your questions are really to the point. So your question is, did you actually stop this?
2: Deliberately, not to prevent yourself from from this disappearing yet.
1: That is excellent. Well, I certainly stopped it because I knew if I didn't stop it, I would never sell my house. And sure enough, after that last unbelievable on-parade kind of night, it was like something out of close encounters, really. Remember that scene in close encounters where they're all flying over Mm
3: -hmm.
1: and the guys are sitting at the edge of the road going, whoo, whoo, whoo. It was like that. It was like that. It was like every single form it had taken over eight and a half years appeared that night as if to say, Okay, you want to stop the relationship? Good on you. Anytime you want us to come back, we'll be back, but you asked for it. Bye bye. Mm-hmm. My house sold a week later.
3: Huh?
1: Go figure. So um, I would say that uh in all spiritual training traditions and in shamanic traditions, too. You get to a stage where it becomes like okay like you said if you carry on like this Mm -hmm. it could actually get really strange Uh and and you might actually be in danger at some point
3: yes I agree
1: of uh, losing your balance perhaps Mm -hmm. maybe something like that Mm -hmm. you won't get you won't be able to come back to the normal world
2: yes Yes.
1: which is, you know, in the, in the the 10 ox herding pictures, the guy's going to look for the ox, which means enlightenment, and he sees its tail in ox herding picture number one. He gets on the bull around mm-hmm. about six, and then round about seven or eight, the bull disappears and he disappears, and then you just get an empty circle.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: But then the last ox herding picture is he's a fat old guy in the marketplace playing with the kids. He's become, a, he's become a holy idiot. He's the fool. He's returned to the world, right? So,
2: so it was more like a safety um, necessity yeah. for your... Yeah, I
1: think so. I think because uh, I had a family and, you know, I had to, I had to create a business. Yeah. I had to carry on life as normal. And so uh, if you go too deep down that rabbit hole, it's an endless labyrinth and yeah. you can get lost. Yes. especially if you if you start putting labels on it oh this means that or whatever yeah. so I think I think that the the house selling situation had pulled me back from the brink and it was like no no now you got to come back here and forget about all this mm-hmm. just and, forget about it.
2: and how do you feel about this nowadays I mean are there thoughts about the continuation of this experience or no or It's enough, and well, no,
1: I went back to the I went back to field twenty three three weeks ago, and nothing had changed. They were back
3: uh-huh
1: and so then I realized the the uh, maybe you can call it the timeless nature of this phenomenon. It's got nothing to do with time or space or mm-hmm. or this this little place we call our universe. It's yeah. so far beyond all of those concepts. That uh, it's always here all the time. Yeah. But I don't need to see it as yeah. I used to. I don't need that. I don't need the proof of, oh, wow, I have the support because that has been internalized.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: I don't need it to be out there, but it's really thrilling and wonderful. And I, I came back after that night and said to my son, they're back. And I was like, happy, you know, wow. Nothing changed twenty years, so I come back in two thousand years to be the same when eight million years
2: mm-hmm. when you're saying they or them uh how many of them two, three, five twenty on
1: some nights on some nights uh well, three weeks ago, uh about four different flying objects appeared, two of which emitted the tractor beam which has a quality of light that's not electronic. When you mm-hmm. see a very bright star like Sirius, yeah. the kind of light that it emits is not an electronic light. It's mm-hmm. a living light. That's- it's a live light, right? Star oh, really? living. That's- so uh, that kind of quality of very bright and beautiful and simple and living light is, of course, the symbol that has been used throughout all time. Yeah. For spiritual realities, light, we are light. And um, so I would say that it's sim- it's a symbolic way of getting human attention at a very, very basic level.
3: Yeah,
1: it's light. A metaphor. Mm-hmm. It's a metaphor for who we are. And uh, much later in the Amazon jungle, I ended up asking some serious questions about what light actually is. And uh, again, the old paradoxical koan is the answer to the question, what is light? You are.
3: <laughs>
1: huh. Again, I never expected the answer. I expected uh, information about light as an objective phenomenon. It's not an objective phenomenon.
2: And now when we started to talk about life, I would like to connect this with the earth thing. Ah, can you please A master. this connection?
1: What's the connection? Okay, uh, with earth thing and all of this, like otherworldly stuff, this is really good because what had happened was I had left the earth so far out. All of my lectures in Japan in the, in the 1990s were all about the universe cosmology, physics, uh, quantum physics. Uh, all about that dimension. Nothing to do with this at all.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: So I was like, uh, David Bowie's movie, The Man Who Fell to Earth, uh, that's what happened to me. And it was quite later on in the, the process. So Ehan Deravi was Mr. Cosmic,
3: mm-hmm.
1: uh, Mr. Ascension, Mr. Yeah. Let's Get On with the Transformation. And I wasn't interested in anything to do with this planet at all. But that was entirely reversed about five years ago. Well, well 10 years ago, we did Earth pilgrims, So there was hints. You're a pilgrim on Earth.
3: Yeah.
1: But just for a short while, a transitory phenomenon. Later on, earthing came. And that was what took me and right back and planted my feet on the ground and said, no, 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 you're not a cosmic being at all. <laughs> you're, the, the, none of that matters anymore.
0: You yeah, are actually
1: just a guy here on Earth. So why don't you get reconnected with the planet that you ended up on instead mm-hmm. of thinking about all these other places? I think that was where the light led me, was back to Earth. Yeah. So um, earthing has become the center of my activity
2: and that's interesting you said that you're an average guy and I had this thought that you're a human being and in all the spiritual or in, in most of the spiritual uh, teachings they say that the human being is the very unique being the purpose of uh, our, ourselves is to connect to reconnect these other dimensions with the practical stuff here on earth that's what you're doing currently.
1: And In Japanese, uh, we have three uh, characters. Ten, heaven.
3: yes,
1: Jin, human. Earth. Ten, jin, chi. Ten, ten. That's the, the compressed bonsai philosophy of the whole thing. Three. Heaven, human, earth.
3: So That's, you just
1: expressed it. Yes. Without That's, us... There's none of this.
2: Yeah. Does it feel like you leave your self-realization now?
1: Does it feel like?
2: Like self-realization currently for you?
1: Self-realization, I wouldn't say that, no. Uh, What it feels like now is, uh, as Sherlock Holmes was very uh, fond of saying, the game is afoot.
2: (laughs) Okay, so enjoy, you're enjoying. Just
1: getting started. The game is afoot. So, uh, and part of the game now is be on this earth, connected here now. And on that note, last night, uh, my good friend came to visit me and he was the first person to actually review the documentary film that I hope will bring Earthing to everybody. it's called "Why on Earth <laughs> <laughs> and it's, the, it's the story It's the story of an old guy decides to walk across Iceland barefoot and it's taken ten months to edit oh, and we both we saw it yesterday uh, and uh so hopefully will take the idea of earthing beyond the health fad Mm -hmm. that it currently is to, ah, actually, it's much bigger than that. It's environmentalism, ecology, spirituality, health, sanity, Mm -hmm. connection. It's all of these things. And I hope that the journey across Iceland will inspire people to see, ah, that's why you end up connecting with birds and animals and weather and the heartbeat of the planet. I actually heard, me and my Jeep driver, my supply driver, we heard the sound of Earth three times in the middle of the night. There was no night. How does it sound? Like? Deep, deep hum. Um. That's the sound of the planet. Oh. And you have to go to the middle of Iceland to hear it. How many of you have heard the sound of the planet? Uh,
2: I have heard the so-called recording of NASA, I think, and it's beautiful. It's like a song.
1: It's a very, very uh, healing sound to actually mm-hmm. hear, and it would only happen at certain times of the night. So uh, Earth. Earthing is hopefully going to be an easy to understand way. None of the quantum physics and the cosmic and the, you know, the shamanic, all of that's great, but it's a, it can be a big, big trap.
4: Mm-hmm.
1: You can get lost very easily. And it's the native people of the world, the indigenous people of the world who I've always found on all of my journeys are the most grounded, the most sane, the kindest, the clearest, uh, they've really got it together. These people, because every day they're connected to the planet.
2: Yes, that's what I am thinking currently while I, uh, I'm listening to you. That maybe not maybe it sounds like the uh, practical tool how we can be still grounded to this earth and combine this connection with the other dimension or this creative source to to create. Here, that's great. Uh, you've
1: you've actually summarized it beautifully uh, because uh, that's exactly where I'm coming from now with heaven, uh, human, and earth. And I actually uh, I've written a book called Why on Earth in Japanese, um, and uh, its final kind of thesis is if you're actually considering seriously any kind of spiritual work,
2: mm-hmm. uh,
1: the fastest way. To approach it is through the earth.
2: To ground
4: yourself.
1: And uh, you'll find that it's a lot easier to do spiritual work if you're earthing, uh, transformative work or whatever you want to call it, shamanic work. You you will have a much safer, cleaner journey if you're actually connected to the earth. But if you're insulated from the earth with your holy shoes, you're actually going to get kind of confused really quickly. Mm-hmm. and uh that's kind of like the period of the whole body of work for the last 25 years the man who fell to earth and actually realized this is where i am <laughs> i'm not on some other dimension but that doesn't mean the other dimension doesn't exist it, it means that you need to be grounded in order right. to connect to the multi-dimensional universe so here we are.
2: That's amazing. Actually, it's a big insight for myself because I have heard, I had my journey too, like all of us, and I had this question, how on earth you can remain sane and at the same time have this access to this creative force? Because this kind of energy, it could just burn you out all your skin
1: all all your gear that's the that's the uh that's the penultimate question actually how do you do that without losing the plot without getting sick without destruction i mean we've seen so many talented people in history go through these kind of experiences and it has destroyed them. I mean, the the litany of artists and pioneers and writers and thinkers who've actually had so much promise, so much talent, it's not funny. And you see how they end up? Yes, a lot of it's that. cruel. It's yeah. it's really cruel that, that a human being can self destruct that easily with mm-hmm. those amount of gifts. Yes. It's like we get too many, we don't know what to do with them, and we end up just self-destructing because we can't handle it. So that is actually the question of our time. Our entire planetary society is now so close to completely losing it, utterly, forever, losing the plot and self-destructing because we don't know how to use talent, genius, whatever you want to call it. We don't know how to use it in a grounded manner. Yes. Uh it's the question of our time. And uh, pills are not going to do it, drugs are not going to do it, uh fake spiritual paths are not going to do it. So we know it's not 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 But what is it then that's going to do it? That's what we have to find out. Quick. Yeah. As a species.
3: I agree with you, yes.
1: You know that the the final the final chapter is transform or die out
3: Right.
4: as a
1: species transform or die out that's your your choices ladies and gentlemen so get to the bridge and start to seriously apply yourselves to this koan how do i transform before i die out
2: mm. yes and i would like to ask you about the fractal time dimension and you said I have read again that the speed of change and fractal time dimension is going faster and faster. So yes. I, I feel like these things are connected. That's why when maybe I'm mistaken, if we have this um, opportunity, I would say, to be connected with this part of creative source and if the changes in this source are getting faster and faster and we still don't have the basically to perceive and to uh, to perceive this kind of uh, force to create here, that's why we are basically lost. So, could you please explain a little bit what is fractal time dimension and what are these changes which are going on currently occurring? To- uh, the,
1: the easiest way to understand fractal time compression is to envisage a spiral uh-huh uh what's happening is well a fractal is infinite replication of the same pattern at ever increasing speeds of frequency
3: Yes.
1: Yeah. so uh, a spiral prev- gives you that idea a long 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 first circle the second circle repeats exactly the same energetic template but yeah. faster and the closer you get to the center of the spiral, the faster the spiral actually unfolds. If you do it in three dimensions, it's like a pyramid going from the base to the peak. If you imagine a three-dimensional pyramid. So time itself, if it is a fractal phenomenon, as everything in the galaxies are, absolutely completely fractal. Um, one of my, my main uh, interviews with, with, was with Nassim Haraming who's now receiving a great deal of attention in the scientific community because he's actually got a thesis that shows that the human being is at the center of the entire fractal universe from the ultimate micro to the ultimate macro. And that there's a mathematical sequence that actually connects us to every single atom and every single quasar in the galaxy. We are at the center. So fractal time begins and ends with our own consciousness. And it appears, it appears to us. And again, I've heard the arguments that no, fractal time is not happening. Time is not speeding up. That's just, just, just an idea. But you feel it. I feel it. Uh, I was 27 years old, three and a half minutes ago, as far as I'm concerned. Like, (laughs) wait a minute. You too. (laughs) What? That was 27 minutes ago. I was 27 years old. What? So uh, I've been talking about fractal time for 20 years. And I used to ask audiences in Japan 25 years ago, how many people in the audience here actually feel that a year is now about eight months, for example. And one person would put the hand up, look very ginger, like, well, I can't get enough. One person. Two years later, an audience of a thousand people, huh. 50 people would put their hands up. When I finished the lecture series, it was like that scene again from Close Encounters when they go to India and they all put their hands up. It came (laughs) from there. Everybody put their hands up. So this is not just my imagination. And these are Japanese salaried workers, businessmen, businesswomen, mothers, children. They're all putting their hands up. So either I'm hypnotizing an audience or they're actually feeling that time is speeding up
2: does it somehow connect it with the frequency of the energies
1: i think it's all the same unfolding of something that is so far beyond our comprehension that we're we're just like children trying to describe things that we've never seen mm-hmm. uh what is time we don't know uh what is energy we don't know uh what is just about anything actually we don't know. We just have theories. Right. And there are quantum physical theories about time. There is a Hawking theory about time, which I highly suspicious of. Even Einstein's theories about time, I'm highly suspicious of. Because if everything is not instantly connected everywhere in the universe all the time, right? If it takes the speed of light to get from A to B, that really doesn't sit well with me. It's got to be instantaneous communication or nothing. So where does that put the idea of time and time and fractal uh, contraction? But you feel it. I feel it. Everybody feels it. We don't know what's going on. But finally, the spiral gets to the center, doesn't it?
2: Yes. It has to. Yes.
1: It has to. So I think that's where we're headed. I call it the event horizon two. Once we get to the event horizon, there's no turning back. And I think we're real close real close yeah. in our lives in our lives okay
0: but my question was it, it sounds to me like it's a possibility that galaxies are not receding from us at the speed of light instead it's time speeding up so th- very
1: very very potent that is uh again uh from our limited perspective looking at the galaxies and the stars everything is supposition. There is, uh, like, in our interview work, uh, Marie, actually, uh, in next week I'm going to interview Wall Thornhill, who's the world's leading expert in the electric universe. Huh. The electric universe is, is, is uh, discounts uh, multi-dimensions, discounts black holes, discounts Einstein's theories completely, uh, deconstructs all of that mathematic-based science and says, what do you see? What do you actually see in the galaxies? Mm. What phenomenon do you see? And how can we actually replicate that on Earth? Plasma. It's a plasma universe. So again, there are theories and theories and theories, but mm. it takes you back to the koan. <laughs> what is it? One. <laughs> and what is one? Right? What does that mean now, here with us? You know, what does it mean?
2: Can I can I suggest? <laughs> we started to talk about earthing and i think in our conversation one means earthing because it seems for me and i hope for our listeners too that's the one that can unite uh, merge all these three dimensions so can you please explain us the practical use of earthling of this device
1: very good Uh, The practical uh, applications of earthing is robust health. If you're not healthy, it doesn't matter how creative and brilliant you are. It's not really going to be as effective uh, if your vehicle is resilient. Mm -hmm. So the, the, the bottom line is our understanding of what is health is extremely limited. We don't actually yet understand what a really healthy person can do because we think health is lack of disease. It's, it's something way bigger than that. you.
3: Yeah,
1: so I'm looking at, in Japan, for example, I'm looking at 130 million people who work really hard. They apply themselves. They've got great discipline. They're smart. But compared to 40 years ago in Japan, they are weak marshmallows, health-wise. They are weak. They are depressed. They don't sleep. The the young people in Japan now, if you can believe this, it was actually on the BBC. 40% of young Japanese people in their 20s are not interested in sex. Now, this is serious business. When almost half of your population says, nah, not interested. I'm too busy on the computer. It's like, why bother? It's emotionally. This is serious, unhealthy in the world's leading nation. I mean, yeah, what's happening here?
0: Is that part of the reason why Japan is getting older?
1: Yeah. Can't, they can't have any more babies. The birth rate is plummeting. The the, the the government is freaking out. 20 years ahead, predictions, you're going to have an entire nation of old people who need constant medical care that is going to cost billions of dollars. The young people won't be having sex, so they won't be having kids. It's the end of civilization, man. Uh, it's clear.
0: Uh, does, it's does, that along, does that go along with a, a low uh, marriage rate as well? Absolutely okay absolutely it's all connected so if if we can
1: return people to health i don't want to sound grandiose if we can return people to health if people can return themselves to health in the simplest most fundamental way which is get your feet on the planet get connected to the absolute zero potential field slightly negative where real health happens vibrant health then everything will start to change. We'll start, to, we'll start a new cycle of reproduction and creativity and health. And uh, we'll be sane. Mm. We won't make the same mistakes as we made when we're flying around the galaxy in our brains, disconnected from our planet, which mm. we trashed, by the way, because we were not connected to the planet. I mean, this idea is so beautifully simple, it's crazy. Nobody will get it. And the guy who founded it, Clint Ober. He said to me when I met him, he said, uh, he said, don't talk to guys about this. His very words was they'll piss on your parade. And do you know why? He said, because guys think they're so damn smart. They'll say, "If, if it's that simple, why did I not know about it? It's an attack on their ego. He said, the women, they'll get it right away. Because first of all, the women have got children and the mothers will go, if I'm getting healthy, my kid's going to get healthy.
3: Yeah.
1: And they'll immediately tell their kids and then they'll immediately tell their friends, which is exactly what happened in Japan. The entire earthling movement is powered by women. Every seminar I do, there'll be some guy stuck inside a cerebral you know, prison. And he'll find all of these excuses why it must be wrong and it can't be true and it's all hypnosis and it's all bullshit. And he'll go through all these machinations. Meanwhile, all the women in the room are going, wow, my pain just went. Oh, my wedding ring just slipped off my finger for the first time in seven years. That means the inflammation's gone down, doesn't it, sensei? And I go, yeah. How long did it take? 20 minutes. And the guys are going, he must be tricking him somehow. And who's trashing the planet?
3: The guys. Go figure. Yeah.
1: If we can get the guys back on Earth.
0: Huh. I, just quick question about the chi. Uh, is that the same chi that's mentioned in Feng Shui? Very, very
1: in, insightful. Uh, I worked with uh, oriental medicine. I was a doctor of oriental medicine for... 10 years. I studied in Osaka. So I have a degree in oriental medicine. So I was an acupuncturist uh-huh. and, uh, uh, every day qi, qi, qi. We call it qi. The Chinese mm. call it cheap and it's, it's energy and it's, it's yeah. we're trying to figure out what this weird stuff is, right? Mm. It's exactly the stuff that you connect with when you're earthing. So, mm. uh, I think, uh, uh, To say that chi is energy is too out there in the head. It's actually, it's actually probably when it comes down to it, electricity. Mm -hmm. (laughs) We live in an electrical universe. We're electrical beings, right? And chi is what they probably called the electrical, the electromagnetic force, right? Interesting. And, And now I'm going. Oh, finally. That's the part of the puzzle. It's that. That's why the Tai Chi masters are all doing it barefoot.
4: Huh.
1: Okay. And, so, how, uh, yeah.
2: and how do you envision this earthing movement? What is your vision?
1: Uh, somebody interviewed me in Japan and said, how do you start a movement? And I said, you don't. A movement starts a movement. Right. In other words, you can't plan it. All of the great movements of humanity the civil rights movement all of those things were not planned by somebody going first we do this and then we do this and then it happens that's never how it happens it's spontaneous awakening in consciousness creates a movement and then it goes where it wants right so uh although you need to put certain things in place to start the 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 ball rolling you do need concepts and ideas you do but to think that you can create a movement is, is, is uh, actually uh, ridiculous. You, you, an individual can't create a movement. People mm-hmm. do. And right now in Japan, uh, it took four and a half years. And then suddenly people are putting videos on Facebook of them walking around in parks bare feet.
3: Huh. And
1: it's just fractally expanding at an enormous speed. It's actually happening faster in Japan. It's taken 20 years in the West for people to understand the term grounding or earthing. And That's... Clint Over is like going like, why is it taking so long? He's finally got Deepak Chopra on board. Finally. It took him a year and he had to do double blind tests mm-hmm. and show him all this stuff. And he's a smart guy. Oh, yeah. Deepak Chopra. Yes. Why didn't he get it 25 years ago? That's the question. What's taken you so long, mister, and what's taken so long is that this is too simple, too dangerous, too direct, and it always comes back to the guy going, well, like I just said, how come you didn't get this 25, 30 years ago? It's always been out there, you know?
3: Yeah.
1: If If you had the intelligence to actually go there and the courage to actually go to that simplicity, which would deconstruct all the secondary theories completely. Because the fact is, health food is good, but you're wasting your time unless you're grounded in eating health food. Yoga is great, but you're wasting your time unless you're grounded in doing yoga. Meditation, cool, but if you're not a grounded meditator, forget it. These are secondary stage situations. Primary stage is you're an earthling. Yes. Then you can start to meditate as an earthling. Okay. Right now you're a space cadet doing yoga and meditation, flying through the galaxies, totally disconnected. Thus you trash your planet with no sense of consequence at all. Mm. So That's it's simple.
2: Yes. <laughs> That's why it's unbelievable.
3: That's <laughs> why <laughs>
1: it's unbelievable. I know. I know. So you know. I'm hoping that this will spark globally. Mm-hmm. I'm hoping that every major city on the planet will have an earthling or earthing or grounding or barefoot park so that the average Mr. and Mrs. citizen who think this is the most Ridiculous idea you can imagine can actually go to like a theme park, like the Eden Project in Britain is a theme park that draws millions and millions and millions of people to understand the relationship between plants and humans. The Eden Project is pure genius. If you haven't heard of it, Google Eden Project. Okay, Uh, I envisage something like the Eden Project in every major city in the world where you will go to a park. But there will be a team of doctors and nurses at the entrance. They'll take your blood sample before you go in there. They'll do a bone density check before they go in there. They'll do a temperature check and a blood pressure check before you start earthing. And because your body is electromagnetically polluted when you go in there, your in- indexes will be pretty high uh, in terms of uh, dis then you'll walk around the park in this beautiful environment for 30 minutes, looking at plants, reading, meditating, doing yoga, and you'll come out of the park and then you'll get all the checks again bone density, blood pressure, mm-hmm. etc. And even the most doubting Joe will have to go, Wow, okay. in 30 minutes, in 30 minutes, this just happened to my body. I'm doing it, uh, I'm proclaiming my bone density results for the last year are off the charts hard data i have the physical bone structure of a 30 year old 30 year old yeah 160% more dense than the average person in the 60s huh. and the staff at the you know where i got the check they were all like must be take, a mistake i'm taking my shoes off <laughs> <laughs> But before you take them off, get a bone density check first. Then you'll be able to shove it in their face before and after. I didn't do the before.
0: Now, uh, is this a cause of osteoporosis?
1: Absolutely. Okay. You are so smart, you people. Osteoporosis is the disease of the millennium. Everybody expects their bones to start falling apart. It's nonsense. Uh, Clint Ober said to me, you know what the cause of, of osteoporosis is, Han? Electron deficiency.
2: Elect-
1: huh. I went, you what? Electron deficiency. Because You're not getting free guessing. electrons coming from the earth. You're stopping them.
0: Huh. And the electrons are what's holding the calcium together?
1: Uh The way he explained it was that the natural chemical balance of the human body, and you have all these chemicals in your body, in your bloodstream, in your organs, which are finely tuned to be in balance, including calcium. And in order for that finely tuned balance to stay in balance, you need to be at zero potential, which means not positively charged. Not positively charged. Positively charged you can compare to an acidic body. Negatively charged, you could compare to an alkaline body, right? Uh If you're positively charged, your chemical structure will go out of balance very quickly, and your body will go into an alarm mode and it will say, Hey, hey, we don't have enough calcium in the blood here. What's going on? Your brain's going to send out signals to your body. What's with the calcium imbalance? We need more calcium, boys and girls. Where are we going to get it? The bones, honey. So your body will start to leach calcium from itself in order to keep homeostasis going. That's what Clint Ober told me. And my jaw hit the deck. Like the guy's not a doctor. He's an engineer, a cable engineer. And he's telling me something that is so mind-blowing, so simple. So let's test it. I did. And I found out the more I earthed, the stronger my bones became because, thank God, our bones regenerate, as does every part of our body all the time. So if you've got osteoporosis now, forget about the calcium supplements. Total waste of time. Get your electron deficiency fixed by standing on the earth. And I guarantee, from four and a half years of experience, I guarantee if you go and do a bone check now, and then you earth for six months and you do a bone check, your percentages will absolutely increase. Absolutely. Now I'm at
0: 160%. And uh, for our listeners, where can they go to find more information about earthing? The book. Clint Obar and two other co
1: authors uh, one who's a cardiologist, Dr. Dr. Sinatra, and one who's a writer. Uh, Martin Zucker and Clint Ober wrote the book Earthing about uh, 15 years ago. Everything's in there. Uh, Thermographic photos of uh, temperature changes before and after. uh, Double blind studies up the yin-yang. All privately funded by Clint Ober because hospitals and doctors don't want to go there. Because it's obviously fake. So all of the studies have been privately funded, all double-blind studies, all scientifically done. I mean, read it, practice it, get it. That's the end of the story.
0: And does it also talk about materials to, not just what you're wearing, but what you're walking on, like wooden floors, rubber floors?
1: Wooden floors, rubber floors, no good. Uh, First thing you have to do is understand what is a conductor and what's an insulator, and what is a semiconductor. Okay. So you got insulator, you got conductor, and you got semiconductor, just like you have in the technological world. Uh, wood, unless it's wet and alive, if it's dry wood on a floor, insulation right. no good. But so you can right. be barefoot, barefoot in your house all day, won't do anything at all.
0: Okay, and that's what I'm saying. It, it's basic electrical theory. Yeah.
1: It's basic electrical theory. So to understand electrical theory is to understand earthing. To understand earthing is to understand, actually, the electrical universe. So they're all connected. And that's why I'm interviewing Walt Thornhill. And he actually, I asked him, do you know about earthing? Walt he said, of course. I'm earthing all the time in my computer. <laughs> He's got an earthing pad underneath his computer.
3: <laughs>
0: okay. So he gets it. What, what is the best uh, conducting surface to walk on? You were you on Iceland and earth. Uh, which seemed to be a moonscape, basically. Was that a good conducting... Fantastic, direction?
1: fantastic, because, uh, first of all, well, the question is, does it make any difference where on Earth you stand? Like some people would say, is it better to Earth at Machu Picchu or a sacred site? And the simple answer is, scientifically, no. Okay. Any point on the surface of the Earth that is actually open, grass, uh woodland uh even uh rock rock does communicate earth if it's connected uh, all oceans are the best place ever the ocean is the ultimate place to earth because earth because water is the perfect conductor of earth energy right okay so uh for jet lag get in the sea as soon as you arrive at your destination as i did in california jet lag's gone because you've immediately reconfigured your body to that space-time coordinate electromagnetically. Jet lag's gone. So that's in the book, too, Jet Lag and Earthing. Um, When you get into it, uh, I suggest Laura Conover. She's going to be another of my guests. She's the number one doctor in the world, really fully embracing Earthing. She said, even if you can only find a leaf If you're in a concrete jungle and you can find a leaf sticking out of the ground or there's a tree with one leaf, just both fingers on that leaf instantly discharges the static in your body. It doesn't take a second. Instant. So that's earthing too. But the longer you practice, it does appear to be important. The more you practice, the more earth you'll get. Uh, But scientifically speaking discharge you're back to zero this is a panasonic computer i've tested it with a voltmeter. if i touch this right now as i'm touching it and i'm not earthed
3: yeah.
1: uh it's about 34 40 volts going through my body right now 30 to 40 volts i kid you not if i was earthed right now that would be zero that's scary numbers
3: yeah. i've
1: got up to 75 volts in front of a flat screen so and you're, you're sleeping next to next to plugs <laughs> leaking.
0: So if you have uh, something like a uh, grounded conductor in the house, just touching yeah. it regularly dissipates the static.
1: That's why Clint Ober, against his will, actually started the earthing business. He said, I wasn't interested in business. The guy's made his fortune, you know his friends were saying can you just make me one of those things you put on your bed to make you sleep better <laughs> and he said okay that was the beginning of earthing.com it's it's quite the business now It's a multi-million dollar business so the earthing sheets work i mean i sleep earth all the time i have a traveling earthing sheet i brought here it's on the bed plug it into the earth port you know uh sleep like a baby uh it's tremendously important to sleep well
3: yeah.
4: yes oh we, absolutely. Don't. Yes. we don't
1: we uh, don't so i mean huffington post editor the woman who started the huffington post wrote a book called sleep revolution huh. because it's such a problem now sleeping yeah and everything in that book was great except she entirely missed the point of the most important thing you can do sleep well is to earth your body with all that knowledge and money and influence and power, she missed it completely. you yeah. got to get a sleep coach. you got to meditate before you go to sleep. you got to write down all the things that you have to do tomorrow so you get them out of your mind so you don't think. She had all of these smart ideas to start sleeping because she was an insomniac because she worked so hard. And she missed it. Yeah. She missed the Earth earthing connection. Beautifully missed it.
2: Is it easy to move on with this idea or do you experience some obstacles on your journey
1: Oh I will definitely experience obstacles if I continue to be associated with this in Japan because of course nobody pays any attention to a paradigm shifting idea until it gets dangerously close to their territory and then the big axes and knives will come out you can bet it and Clint Ober has been uh, lampooned and ridiculed, especially by the medical community, for so long, and that's why he said, "You have no idea how much money I wasted on trying to get scientists and doctors who are men to get behind me on this. You have no idea what I went through." So he was very clear about, "Don't waste your time with the men. Go for the women. They'll get it. Uh-huh. Earth mamas get it. Yeah. The men, so." Earth I'm Earth. not going the route of academics, science, proof. Forget it. We don't have the time for that. We'll all be gone by the time those guys get around to actually getting it.
3: Oh, yeah.
1: Way too late. So there will be resistance. You can bet. There will be resistance. It still hasn't reached the point where it's serious enough. It's, eh, it's some kind of health fad. You know, it's like mm-hmm. the back-to-earth guys. You know, It's a bunch of hippies. Mm-hmm. It's not dangerous yet. Mm -hmm. But when you start, when a medical community starts losing billions of dollars, when sleep medicine becomes unnecessary, when we find out that multiple sclerosis, which never existed when I was a kid, never heard the term multiple sclerosis until we'd been wearing insulated shoes for two or three decades, right? And now you get it when you're 30 years old. Are you kidding me? and you can't figure out that multiple sclerosis and all of these difficult-to-pronounce new diseases, fibromyalgia, I mean, look at Gaga, Lady Gaga. I mean, I want to get in her face and say, Earth, honey, all this pain you're suffering is easy to get rid of, stand on the Earth. She's got five massage people around her all day, injections. She can't perform anymore. The poor woman. If you're out there, Lady Gaga, listen to this podcast and get your feet on the earth. Right. So go figure. How many people are going to lose how much money? The fibromyalgia medical team is going to be the naked emperor as soon as they figure it out. Interesting. So uh, that's how passionate I am about this. Like, it's that simple.
2: So what's your plan? The
1: way home. The way home is clear. Yes, I agree.
2: what's
1: so, your plan
2: for the next five years, for instance? Uh,
1: plan for the next five years is survive the next five years, um, because I'm uh, I'm going to be 66 pretty soon, and I've lived a very uh, wild life, and I know, I know genetically that even though I'm extremely healthy healthier than i've ever been mm-hmm. i know that statistically probability is that uh, uh my dna will probably want to switch off if i don't uh align myself with uh what is called in in uh power theory uh a higher field of influence uh we call it an attractor pattern in chaos, chaos theory. A higher attractor pattern means uh, a higher level of consciousness, for lack of a better word. I don't okay. really like the high and the low analogies. But for the next five years, uh, I want to uh, use the remaining time, literally, to uh, empower other people, to inspire other people to become uh, fanatically passionate about whatever it is they're doing. Huh. And to be fanatically passionate, you must be unbelievably healthy. All
3: right. You
1: have to leap out of bed with sparks coming out your ass to do this. <laughs> and you're not going to be able to do that uh, if you're not resiliently, robustly healthy, which means you're an earthling. True. True. So survive, number one. And then follow the spirit. Follow follow the unseen, uh, follow the synchronicity, and see what unfolds with great curiosity and passion.
2: Sounds great. Sounds great. could you please share with us, is there something you would want to talk about what we didn't ask you about yet?
3: The challenges of fatherhood, marriage, and aging.
2: What do you want? Which
1: all come together. Mm -hmm. Which all come together. Um, Nobody teaches us in our culture, nobody teaches us just how hard it is to stay in a relationship, whether it be father, son, daughter, uh, marriage partner, friends, to stay in a healthy, passionate relationship with those around you as you realize that you are heading towards aging and death and demise, right? Nobody broaches that subject honestly anymore. But there is one fantastic book I read called Falling Upwards.
3: Falling Upwards.
1: Facing the second half of life with joy. Uh, In other words, everybody prepares you for the first half of life, which is you have to have an ego. You have to have a plan. You have to work. You have to produce children. You have to raise children. You have to do all of these things. You have to. That's your duty, right? And I've done that. But very few people actually teach you about the second half of life, which is failure, disappointment, uh, lack of energy, uh, disease, sickness, operations. I mean, business crashes, all of this stuff which inevitably will happen because you're a human being, we kind of avoid. But falling upwards gave me the hint, and it was like, expect problems. Embrace them. Uh, somehow have the faith to get through them. These are the issues, the dark side that people don't want to face. the The, the dark night of the soul is really, really important, but we don't want to talk about it in Western culture because it's, it's it's. Let's not go there. Let's be optimistic.
3: Mm-hmm. Instead
1: so that's what that's what that's what uh, you know. That's what I'm facing now. I'm facing you know, uh, 43 years uh, married. I'm facing. You know, there's a there's a large part of me wants to be alone, as I reach the end, which sounds like what? Why don't you want to be with all your friends? Actually, when animals die, what do they do? They go off alone into the forest. When the sick. They go off alone into the forest. They don't want to cause problems with the people around them and, and, and involve everybody in their drama. They got the nobility to go off into the forest alone and die, right? So how does that relate to us as individuals now? Do we have the nobility of soul to go, okay. Uh, one of my interview subjects will be Satish Kumar, who's 82-year-old, brilliant, Echo spiritual wonder man and his mother
3: fasted to death now we're all gonna go
1: what it's totally natural in india she's like 85 or whatever and she knows she's gonna die so she says to the whole family well brothers and sisters daughters and sons i'm gonna die and i want to die clean so I'm going to fast to death. And young Satish is there listening to his mother going, I'm going to fast to death? And they all go, okay, mom. Sounds good to me, because they have a spiritual culture, a transcendental culture. And they watch her fast to death. Hmm. Now, nobody in Western civilization is going to go towards that idea They're going to keep you alive on a respirator for an extra 10 years in your meat package rather than let that happen. But that is noble. That is spirit. So these are the things we're not talking about. We're dancing around the edges, but, you know, mortality. Face it. Get over it. The only way to get over it is to face it. So that's the kind of thing I would like to talk about, but I'm um, gonna need another cup of coffee for that. And I think maybe it's enough. <laughs>
4: <Okay>. Yeah.
2: <laughs> thank you very much for your time, and it was a fantastic experience for us. And more than sure for the listeners too. Thank, thank you very much, and we would be very happy to have you once again for the interview on our podcast.
0: Yes, thank you very much, John. Appreciate it. Not at
1: all. Much, much obliged to you both.
2: Thank you very much. Thank
1: Thank you, you. John. Bye. Have a good
2: day. Bye.
1: Thank you.